Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East and Andy Ferguson. In episode 27, we will review the racing biopic Ford vs. Ferrari, starring Matt Damon and Christian Bale. Plus, Noah will have five good questions for me concerning my trip to the theater to see the new Charlie's Angels film, starring Kristen Stewart and directed by Elizabeth Banks. And in our Pick 6 segment, we are ranking the six best time travel films of all time. Leading us into the throwback challenge to close out the show, in which I challenged Andy with Terrence Davies' A Quiet Passion, the Emily Dickinson biopic from 2016, and he challenged me with Rick Alverson's The Comedy, starring Tim Heidecker from 2012. So, Andy, let's kick the tires on this bad boy and take it for a spin. What do you say? Let's go. Our lead film this week is taking the checkered flag at the box office this weekend, a racing film which doubles as a period piece of the late 50s, early 60s, with a star-studded cast and helmed by veteran director James Mangold. It is time to discuss Ford versus Ferrari. Ford versus Ferrari. It's time to discuss, finally, because I'm tired. I was so tired of seeing this trailer. Um, yeah, my God, we've seen this trailer. Over and over and over again. It's the same trailer, too. Not even different variations of the Yeah, every time it's the same one. I, I think that's almost... One of the re- got to be one of the reasons that it made that it won the box office this weekend. They spent so much in they marketing. Did. They really like, did. It was it it's was everywhere. Everyone's eyeballs. They've even taken over the IMDb page. Yeah. Every time you go All on IMDb, banners, yeah, it's just everywhere. Yeah. yeah. You can't do anything without seeing something for this film. Everyone knows about it, even if you're not interested in seeing it. Well, that also saves us from having to do an, a. a, a, a synopsis or an intro for it so sure. everybody knows at this point what Ford versus Ferrari is about mm-hmm. um, for the most part who it stars mm-hmm. all of it yeah um, so um, I don't know where to begin uh, I mean, I guess what you could say is that, you know, what what isn't, you know, if you don't really pay attention a whole lot, you do know, obviously, that Matt Damon and Christian Bale star in it, but who they star as, you might be, like, a little confused by. Yeah, like, I, I, Carol Shelby, I didn't know was his, you know, first name. I, I knew the name Shelby just, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. because that's a car thing. Right. I didn't know who Ken Miles was, and that's... That's the the thing that like gearheads, as they like to be called, are uh, 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 really excited about this film because he's supposedly one of the biggest and best stories in all of racing. That's that's unsung. He's an unsung hero. Yeah, I didn't know anything about him going into this. Uh, Neither did I. Yeah. I didn't even know what Le Mans was this twenty four hour race. Neither did race. I. That sounds nuts to me. That's had, a wild concept. I had no idea that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Matt Damon is Carol Shelby, who is a Kind of a racing legend who can't race anymore, I guess, um, is the best way to put it, because of a, a condition that he's constantly, a heart condition he's constantly taking medication for. You see him, you see him taking it throughout the film in unknown doses. We'll yeah. say that he's, he's just kicks he the chugs them. He kicks the bottle. Chugs back. the pills. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> he's frustrated. Well, that's a real cool guy way to take your yeah. pills. Is just mm-hmm. straight out of the bottle. Matt you know? Damon's in cool guy mode in this movie. Very much. Straight on down <laughs> to the accent. I mean, that's a great place to start. What'd you think of Matt Damon's accent in this uh, movie? He was fine. Um, it bothered me at first. I wasn't in love with him in this movie. Yeah, I'll it bothered that. me at first, but but later on I got used to it. <laughs> uh, most people are talking about how in love they are with Matt Damon's performance. I can't get there with him. I'm not really there on it. No. I think it's no. fine. He's okay. He's okay. 
okay in it, but he's okay in it. The role's very, like a lot of things in this movie, predictable where it's going. Um, but that's what this movie hangs its head on. It's old-fashioned. It, you know, it's not worried about being innovative in any way. No. It is a very old, it's one of those films where, you know, Boomers might say they don't make them like this anymore, you know, yeah, kind of movies. Because they don't. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I guess that is a little bit of its charm. That there's, I guess, yeah. there's, there's very little frill and fuss with mm-hmm. the film. Yeah, but it's, it's also very modern looking, too. Isn't yeah. It? It's, Especially the action sequences. It's kind of sleek. Very expensive looking at times. Yeah, you can tell that, it it's, that it was an expensive film to make. We were looking up the budget and we Something were kind of like guessing. 90 million. Right? We were kind of guessing, and you're like, there's no way this is. 100 million. Uh, it was 97. Million it was in the pretty budget. damn close. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, I would have guessed seventy-five, maybe. That but, probably would have been. But would, my God, my guess, this seventy damn near one hundred million dollar budget, and it looks like they used a lot on effects. That the effects don't look terrible. No, by the way. That, that's that's an interesting thing. Like, and I, I said this in my letterbox review about how it's well acted, it's well crafted, the score is good, the directing is good. You know, like like it's well directed. It looks great. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's very competently made. Very competently made. Well, James Mangold's put in a career already. I mean, he's a veteran now, and he knows how to make a movie like this. He especially knows how to make a biopic. He almost he's <laughs> he's one of those guys that. Pretty much perfected it throughout the century. So far. yeah, most people's favorite of the last twenty years is Walk the Line. It's, up there, it's Walk up the there. Line. Yeah, he's a there. part of that. He was the director there. He's made. He's he's been a successful studio director. So I'll he's kind of a safe director where you give him yeah. something like this mm-hmm. and ninety-seven million dollars, and you know yeah. he's not going to waste the money. Well, and he's worked with Christian Bale before, and in um, Three Ten to Yuma, mm-hmm. and you can totally see Christian Bale and him working together well here because yeah. Christian Bale is the reason to see this film. Christian Bale is what I love about the movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Yeah, he, he's he, it's he's, a character to get behind. He's too. fantastic in it. Yeah, because he's he's an obsessive. The Ken Miles character you learn. A lot about him, actually. He's hyper obsessive. Yeah, and he's not uh, person. His personality will not change to please anyone else, which is interesting about him. But he's also that's what's strange is that like, sure, he's got a bit of a temper and he's he can behave erratically, but he's still pretty much a nice guy. He's a good father. He's a good yeah. husband. He just you know, doesn't want anyone to come into the way of like a bastardizing what he's trying to the, do. This thing that he loves, which is right. racing. But he also very much loves his family. At one point, he's willing to just give up racing because he feels like that's what he needs to yeah. do to provide True. for his family and be a good man. Like, far, so yeah. it's, he's a really interesting character because of I don't know. He's he's got this duality that's, but he's still a really good guy. He is, yeah. And that's why he's the most interesting character in the film. Uh, yeah, he absolutely is. Um, now, uh, as much as they have family scenes with him, I still felt like the wife and the son were kind of poorly drawn. Yeah, they're underwritten. But just, again, those two performances, though, she's pretty good in it, and the, the son yeah, is too. Fine, but given what they have just to work, what with. they have with is, and, and what they have to work with, especially later on when the when the son's left to, uh, when he's watching the race on, and just it, it just like reminds you of too many other things. Yeah, we're gonna see the best that Noah Jew has to offer in a couple of weeks when we see Honey Boy. Yeah, well, this so. kid, this kid's this kid's <laughs> got a bright future. Yeah, this big, role is not indicative of it. No, the, um, this is really like it's it's Bale's moment to shine. Mm-hmm. Damon gets a meaty role. Tracy Letts has a lot of fun here. That's Ford. Yeah, Bernthal gets a lot to do. Lucas I don't know if he does. gets a lot to do. Lucas is a problem. I have a problem with that character. Really, Josh Lucas's character in this movie is. 
a standard villain kind of character that just hits all the villainous notes of a Hollywood movie. I, I just couldn't stand watching him in this see, movie. See, this is why I kind of enjoyed him in it, is because that character is so hateable, mm-hmm. and Josh Lucas has a face that is very easy to hate. Especially with his, ha- with his haircut in this. I know. It makes and you so want to punch him. It worked on me because I absolutely despised him throughout the film. I, just, I was annoyed by certain sequences. The, the whole, uh, the, a lot of, there's, a, there's more than one sequence in this movie where Josh Lucas is trying to bark orders over the phone to pit, pit staff, and Matt Damon always can sense it happening, even though Matt Damon should be paying attention to other things. And it's like, hey, you you put that phone down. <laughs> These are very <laughs> conventional and convenient aspects of the script. These aren't things that Matt Damon or Carol Shelby would be paying attention exactly. to. Exactly. If Lamont is happening. <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, but that's like, that's the kind of thing that didn't bother me about the performances of either of them. Okay. That's just a convenient, conventional thing. That's, that's an issue with the writing. I think. And as... that's, that's, that's where this film kind of boils down to for me is that like it is really technically well made well acted all of that it's just it's just so conventional that i can't i can't i think that it's a good movie it's not a great movie uh i I think that's what took me down a notch because it's so paint by numbers oscar baity it really it's just like it exists for that reason alone almost and other than getting the ken miles story is interesting i mean yes at least we I didn't. I wouldn't have known about him, honestly. Absolutely I mean, not. I would have gone the rest of my life never knowing. Him. I don't read about racing. I don't really yeah. care about it. But that character deserves to have his time yeah. here. And Christian Bale nails it. And in the second half of the movie, especially, there's some um, scenes just with him inside the race car that are pretty riveting. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think as Lee Iacocca, John Bernthal got enough to do. Um, Probably not. He was fine in it. He's good. But just not enough. Um, uh, it, the, the supporting roles are mostly good, though. Yeah, I love um, Tracy Letts, but I, mean, I was going to. There's a great scene with him to, and, and Carol Shelby test driving. You know that the car. That, that scene is is featured in the trailer mm-hmm. a little bit. A and, little bit, but and, not. A, it doesn't give a lot away. Though, and leading thankfully. up to the film, I heard a lot of talk about that scene, and I was just like, "All right, you know, mm-hmm. like, come on, don't over, don't overblow it." That that is one of scene. one of the three or four best scenes in the whole film. It's, it's a great. It's a, it's great a lot scene. of fun, and there are lots of scenes that that look really good. They're well directed, like quiet dramatic scenes that are well directed. Mangled mm-hmm. shoots the shit out of this. It looks really good. I gotta give a shout out. I, I do my rectify alum shout outs. Oh, that's right. Ray McKinnon in this movie gets more to do than you would think. He's kind of a a grounded soul of this movie because he's he's a very throwback kind of guy, but he's also he's one of the guys in the movie that Carol Shelby knows he can trust. Which he's constantly surrounded by people who are corporate shill, for lack of a better term, yeah. kind of people. And that Ray McKinnon character, as his kind of like pit master, right hand man, or whatever you want to say, is solid. Yeah, if this, if the, if the alliances are divided in half in this film between Shelby and Ford, um, he's like the backbone of the Shelby side. Yes, I would say he's like the fifth biggest character in in the film, aside from. Shelby and Miles, and then and then Josh Lucas's character and Tracy Letts's character. He's probably fifth. He's right got a there bigger. With Bernthal. He's got a bigger role than Bernthal, even. Yeah. Well, he, he's important. He's very overall, important. and he's because great Ken him. Miles respects him, you know, and trusts him. Also, I, I just this just seemed like you said pretty Oscar Beatty, and there's just yeah. there's nothing like over the top that's really impressive about it. No, it's just it, it's consistently well paced, and it's it's fine enough, despite the fact that it is pretty long. It's long, but. Yeah. 
then again, when you start to realize what kind of a race Le Mans is, it's going to take a while to, to depict that. That is very true. It. Very early on in the film, within like the first 30 minutes, I noticed you started to doze off a little bit. Yeah. But that didn't happen the rest of the film. I, I was coming in a little tired. Well, and I got to tell you, even to be honest, I felt the first 30, 45 minutes of the film. Mm, it could have been trimmed. really took a while to get going. It was it really been slow. Trimmed. And I was like, oh, this was this isn't starting out great. But it did get catch me up a little bit. It does more pick as, up the pace. I think it probably could have clocked in right around two hours and been fine. Probably. Just maybe a little over. 232 is a little much. I'm giving it three and a half. Right. I'm at a three. That's, That's solid. Three. Yeah. It's, it's a solid yeah. film. It's worth seeing. Right. And I, and I think it's going to get some Oscar consideration. It's going to. For sure. Yeah. So I don't think it deserves most of that, but that's okay. I mean, it's... Yeah. So we'll, we will... It, you know, you're going to be hearing about it. Audiences are going to be hearing about it for the next oh, month and a half, two it'll months. Be, so. It'll at least get a couple of technical and then maybe even a big nod. And considering what's out right now, you, you could do a lot worse. It's Yeah, it's a struggle to find anything right now. Yeah. Uh, so our next film of this week is the franchise reboot of a reboot of a beloved 70s TV series, the third such film in the last 19 years. It features one of Hollywood's biggest young stars and is directed by and featuring another. Andy, I've got five good questions for you about Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels. Let's lead with a director question right out of the mm. gate. We don't usually do director questions right out. Right sounds out fun. Gate. This is Elizabeth Banks' sophomore film since she directed Pitch Perfect 2, which I've also not seen. How does she handle the, the action directing in the film? I assume Pitch Perfect 2 is not an action film. There's not a lot of action in it. I've not seen that either. So how's Banks when it comes to directing her first action flick? That's where she struggles. Um, and I guess, I don't know. She's not really, there's a plenty of action in this movie. She just doesn't, uh, how do I put it? She's much better at the hangout scenes and the camaraderie scenes and then, you know, kind of dialogue back and forth, quieter scenes with comedy a little bit. And because that's her background, that's where she comes yeah. from. But um, yeah, she's not really up to the task necessarily there's not a lot of fluidity to the action scenes which is it's actually a really hard thing to accomplish as we've noticed in tons of in the action movies of the last decade in the modern age yeah whenever you see a bad action movie it makes you really appreciate when mm -hmm. action films are really directed well the mission impossibles every mm -hmm. michael mann movie you know what i mean right. like yeah um th there tends to be too much busyness going on and too much choppy editing to to kind of compensate for other problems i guess they're tr they've got going on in the orchestration of an action sequence and that happens a lot in this movie well it doesn't necessarily mean that the film is bad so my second question is Kristen stewart uh, a bit of an odd choice for her role wise considering mm. where her career tra trajectory has been lately why do you think she chose this film you're playing armchair psychologist here why do you think Kristen Stewart chose this? I, I would like to imagine the reason she chose it is because of why I like her so much in it is that she finally gets to decompress and play light because, man, some of these roles lately, Personal Shopper and Clouds of Sils Maria, yeah, real really heavy. dark, depressing movies, more than just those two. She's having a lot of fun here. She gets to do a lot of 
you know, kind of like wardrobe, uh, shape-shifting wardrobes from scene to scene. She's just, she's got a different haircut in every scene she's in. She's like got disguises on. She's she's having a lot of fun. Um, all three of them are really good in this movie. Um, well, you know, that leads me to my third question, actually. The other angels, the ones I've never heard of. Mm. How are they in the film? And, and additionally, does anyone else, you know, stand out as far as the supporting cast go? You know, aside from Kristen Stewart, who's the best in the film? So uh, that's a multi-layered question. I would, I would say that all three of them are equally the best in the movie. Really? Good. They all stand, Naomi Scott's a talent, I think. I never really seen her in anything. I knew she was in the Aladdin film that came out this okay, year. Okay, that's who that is. Um, okay. Yeah, but I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm not going to see a Guy Ritchie Aladdin movie nope. where Will Smith is blue. Nope. I'm just not going to see it. Um, apparently, she's she's a song singer, singer songwriter, pop artist turned actress. I did not know that until reading into this movie. Um, she's got a lot of charm. She's kind of like the scientist. Nerd who the brainy stumbles into the world of the Charlie's Angels, got it, and kind of hap- accidentally becomes a part of them. Reluctant spy, uh, yeah. And then Ella Balinska is like this towering. She's like seems like a damn near foot taller than the other two. Oh wow! Um, like athletic, like just just really like she is great in the action sequence. Who's the one? Who's the lady? Elizabeth Debicki. Yes, she's kind of like that. Very similar in stature, yeah. <laughs> but this this Ella Balinska is like. My God, she's she's just like handles the action sequences like brilliantly, and I don't think she's ever been in any other movie. Um, they're a lot of fun. Uh, other than that, though, Elizabeth Banks plays um, one of the Bosleys, if you will, like one of the yeah. team leads. Um, uh, she's fine, not great. Um, Patrick Stewart is in this movie. Is he? He's a Bosley as well, but he's a retired. He's retiring at the beginning of this movie, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of telegraphed things you could call from a mile away in the plot that happened with him and Elizabeth Banks as the story goes along and it's just kind of they're not great the supporting characters are just not very good it's not very well written what I like about the movie is just the hangout quality of the three main characters Uh, can audiences expect sequels here is this a budding franchise according to the box office receipts this weekend it doesn't have a good chance of that the way it was made I think and the way it ends, they really hoped it would be a, a hit and, and extend into more, but it's really hard to tell. They leave it open, I'll tell you that much. Um, I can't see it going any further than this. Less though. than $10 million on opening weekend. That, that doesn't bode well. Worldwide, it might do well, but I mean, That's true. It's, it's still, I, I can't see it happening again. Well, leads me to my final question, mm. and it's a fun one. Pick one. The Cameron Diaz, Lucy Liu, Charlie's Angels, or this one? That's yeah. easy. You're... Okay. That's easy. And there's only one reason for that. Never seen those. Never seen... <laughs> <laughs> I chose to not watch those movies. I gotta say, the reason why is because I just don't like Cameron Diaz. I yeah. don't get behind her. I get you. I can't sit and watch her for two hours and as the star of a movie unless it's, you know, something like... You know, back in the days, there's something about Mary. There's there was appeal to that movie in other ways. Yeah. Um, Any I given just, Sunday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, back in those days, you'd watch you know, Being John Malkovich and Vanilla Sky, but she wasn't like the main focus of any of those movies. Yeah. It's hard for me to get behind her. So right. I, easy. The these new you'll, angels. They'll take this one. <laughs> okay. Uh, lastly, what what are what are you giving it? Two and a half. Two and a half. Right down the middle because half of it 
is just these characters hanging out, and it's very fine. It's good. Yeah. But the other half is an action movie with a bad plot. And so it's half good, half bad, so two and a half. All right. Well, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, Andy and I are ranking the six best time travel films of all time. So stick around, or don't. Time, Time's an illusion. Or maybe not. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, you think you've got the back ready for round two welcome back to the show on today's pick six we are ranking the six best time travel films of all time this is one of the more fascinating genres of film and one that i've been eager to tackle for months now so starting as always with you andy what's number six on your list of the best time travel films of all time all right we made it this is it did we make Uh, it or are we i is this the past I can only, I can only remark on what's happening right now. I All don't right. know what it is. Well, right now you're given your number six. My number six is Safety Not Guaranteed. Ooh, uh, the 2012 film debut of Colin Trevorrow, who would go on to make Jurassic, Jurassic World films. Yeah. I think he's made two of them. I want to say. I think so. Oh boy, how the mighty have fallen. Um, this is just a tiny little indie comedy time travel comedy movie low budget very low low budget budget. yeah at the time you know uh aubrey plaza was still in the parks and rec days she's the star of the film um they kind of marketed it as her movie and it kind of is and jake Um, johnson was doing the 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 zoe deschanel show the new girl new New girl girl. new girl yeah new guy yeah new guy's a movie with um what's that dude's name dj DJ qualls Qualls. I wish DJ Qualls was in this movie. Um, um, he's not, though. That's a spoiler. Mark Duplass is. Mark instead. Duplass is in this movie. He's the X Factor for me. Yeah. Anyway, Jake Johnson is in this movie, and Jake Johnson is a journalist at the Seattle, at Seattle Magazine. And Aubrey Plaza is an intern that lives at home with her dad, played by Jeff Garland. Alone, just them two living together. She kind of has an existence. It's kind of, she's bored with her life. And she finds this classified ad in the local newspaper that's basically like uh, I've got a super secret time travel mission if you want to come on it you got to bring your own weapons but yeah. I've only done this once before safety's not guaranteed <laughs> and Jake Johnson's like okay we're going to we're going to investigate this because this is story. ridiculous we have a crazy yeah. person on our hands and so they kind of track this guy down and secretly, Jake Johnson and another intern uh, are kind of eavesdropping as Aubrey Plaza is the only one who has an interaction with this guy the whole film, basically. 
And Mark Duplass is a wild dude in this movie. He's got some weird ideas, and he looks like a recluse and has no friends, and he works at a supermarket. And she's just a weirdo. And Aubrey Plaza's fascinated with him, though. At first, she sees him as a crazy psycho, but then kind of falls in love with the guy. Well, as an audience, you're pretty fascinated with him because mm-hmm. the, the overarching question for you as the audience is, is he crazy or not? Right. And, he play, and, and it all relies on how he plays it, and he plays it well. Yeah. He's so affable, and uh, you can see why Aubrey Plaza's character would be so intrigued by him. Um, but... The reason I have this on the list, more than just my love, my man crush on Mark Duplass, basically, is the way it ends. Um, I don't want to talk about it, but yeah, don't really. the way it closes out is kind of a little bit of a surprise. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you would argue that the majority of the movie is just a comedy. It's not really much about time travel, but then the last 30 minutes or so, it really becomes something else. Yes, it does. Which which puts it in this category firmly. And I, I like it enough to put it on here at number six. It's a, it's a good choice. All right. What I, do you got? I'm glad we talked about it because it's not going to be on my list. I didn't think it would but, be. But I do like it a lot. All right. Good. Uh, number six for me is Primer. Mm. Now, as far as... That's five for me, by the way. It's number five for you? Perfect. Yeah. So let's talk well, about it's, it. As far as, you know, the science of time travel movies, this one is... Definitely one of the most impressive ones. So it gets extra points for that that mm-hmm. it probably would lose just in, um, you know, the the quality of the filmmaking. Yeah, know? but it also should get more points, too, based on the fact that it was $7,000 to make. That's all they had. Yeah, $7,000 and it ended <laughs> in up In a garage, being, basically. And it ended up being a huge hit in 2004. Because of the ideas here. Yeah. And, you know, even if you don't understand half of what's going on, you're not supposed to. That's the thing. Yeah. You know? I mean, normal minds can't understand half of what's going on. It's just time travel is is so paradoxical and the mm-hmm. logic is so, you know, And this gets into the down. meat of it, which is impressive. Yeah. It does. And from people who are smarter than me, you know, I've read plenty of things and talked to people mm-hmm. that, you know, will tell you that as far as the logic traps and all the paradoxes go, this one is as close to getting it right as, as almost any other film. So mm-hmm. I, it gets extra points for that. I like Shane Carruth a lot in it. I like him in it. I'm not convinced in the other performances, but I do like him in it quite a bit. And but just, uh, he wrote it, starred in it, directed it, edited it, did the did the score. You know what I mean? Like it's insane. Yeah. This was as micro budget as things get, and that's that's what it's most famous for. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it actually gets enough credit for how pretty damn solid it is just as a film. Yeah, and we're sitting here at the 15th anniversary of it. Um, you know, rewatching it now, it's. It's really impressive to witness. You don't really see... I mean, now we live in an era where most people can make a movie if they want to. But, but, you know, then, man, imagine if Shane Carruth had what we have now at his disposal. He probably would have made more than just two films at this point. (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah. As far as we know, he still doesn't have something upcoming, right? Yeah, we need a third film, Shane. It'll happen. If you're listening, Shane. Yeah. (laughs) I know you listen every week, so... We finally are talking to you. We're addressing you now. Yeah. Please make another film. Uh, so that's your number five. So we'll yeah, go straight to my to number five. My number five is Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Ooh, I almost put it on. You didn't even make your list? Uh, you know it's seven on mine? This thing Bogus could, Journey. This could have gone higher for me, honestly, <laughs> man. I like Bo- Bogus Journey a little more for the record. Really? I'd, Excellent Adventure is just so iconic mm-hmm. and so insanely fun really funny it's genuinely a funny comedy still. i agree and it's just 
it man it gets some of those originality points as well i mean just just the concept of this film imagine pitching this film mm-hmm. to a studio you know what i mean just right. sitting down to write this film and pitch it to anyone uh, it's it's so incredibly original and such a crazy silly zany idea that somehow works it's as, fun as as stupid and convenient as a lot of the plot points are well, you really have to suspend a lot of belief and that's but it's fine. a comedy which helps yes and if you're <laughs> willing to do all of those things this is one of the most fun just pure fun three letters fun films well that, george carlin's a lot of fun that have ever been made it's one it. of the most fun <laughs> movies yeah and a reason i like bogus journey a slightly more is because william sadler as the grim reaper is so much fun and their time in hell in that movie that helps a lot <laughs> It's so good. Yeah. Sadler saves that movie for me. He has he has a Grim Reaper look about him. He really does. There's no one better to play that role. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I love that pick. Yeah, it's it's a blast. It All is right. a blast. Um some of the some of the humor doesn't hold up as well and there yeah. is there's that one scene um with some with a very uh, uh homophobic joke that gets mm. made between the two of them. That definitely doesn't hold up, but you're willing to forgive that and chalk it up to being, you know, the 80s. Well, these dudes are coming back next year, and maybe they'll they'll have an updated sense of humor about them. I'm hoping so. Yeah. I'm I'm pretty excited for that movie. Just I am too because of how much I've always love love loved this movie. I can't so, wait for it. Number four for you. Number four for me is a movie I rewatched, and this is by a director who I've never really liked a whole lot. I can't get. A, I can't get in on his style, but in this movie, the casting works. That's 12 Monkeys from Terry Gilliam. This would have been my number seven, probably. Okay. Well, a rewatch pushed me up here. Really? Because I think this is one of the best Bruce Willis performances. Oh, he's fantastic in it. He's unbelievable. A lot of people, the, a lot of the attention is on Brad Pitt in this movie. I'll say this. You know I'm the biggest Brad Pitt fan that yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of the few examples of Brad Pitt overacting a little bit. Maybe. I, I still think it's a good performance. He goes a little insane here. But I don't think a, it's a, a great Brad Pitt performance. I think Willis is the best He's great part of this film. film. Actually, this reminded me of how great Madeline Stowe was in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, wow. where is she these days? She was so great in that stretch in the 90s, and she's so good in this film. Yeah. Um, the world of this movie just... This is the type of role or uh, world... That fits Gilliam's style a little better yeah. than some others. This super dystopian thing. Yes, yeah. This is more dystopian, less whimsical and, and silly. Yeah, I can't get, I can't get around some of his stuff like Doctor Parnassus and other films like that. Um, what's the one he made? Uh, the uh, the Matt Damon and um, uh, who was it with him? Oh God! In that the. Uh, it was almost like a Hansel and Gretel thing, but it was like... Yeah, I don't remember. It, it was bad. There's Zero Theorem. See, that one I didn't care that for either. That one was either. Christoph Waltz. Yeah. I forget the Matt Damon one, but yeah. Yeah, so this is more of a golden age of Gilliam. Yeah, I, so. I've never been a big Gilliam guy, no. and it's for that same reason. It's mm-hmm. just, it's it's a little too he fantastical. He can't seem to find a way to harness himself, you know, as far as visually. I would say this is my favorite Gilliam as well. It might be my favorite film of his, although I do like a lot of the work he did with, like, Monty Python and yeah. stuff like that. Time Bandits was close to That's also a really good use of his 
style is is in Monty Python. Yes, you know what I mean. And Brazil works a little better too. Absolutely. Um, yeah. um, but I just I, I love Willis in this movie. Yeah, close to his best performance. And this is a lot of interesting use of time travel. Oh as yes, well. a lot of it takes place in 2035. That's where Willis's character exists originally, but the virus that wipes out the twelve the monkeys that wipe out humanity basically in 1996 he's supposed to be put back in 96 but he's put back to 90 instead and clerical that, error and that's where madeline stowe's psych, psychiatrist comes into play and there's a there's just, there's it's fun it's yeah. a lot of fun yeah yeah uh number four for me is ryan johnson's looper mm, okay <laughs> um uh, really looking forward to Knives Out next yeah, week. Yeah, sure. And so uh, this was a film that I felt like really needed rewatching. Well, you recently rewatched Brick too. Right? I did. I rewatched Brick over the summer. You so, liked it a lot. Yeah, I'm becoming a a and and I I had liked it a lot before, and I, I, that one uh, gained even more favor with me. And I think ultimately Looper did as well. I think I like Looper a little bit more than I did before, and I and I liked it before. And your favorite but, um, film of all time is Star Wars: The Last Jedi, also directed by Ryan Johnson. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even understand. All it's the his contro- best film. I don't even understand all the controversy around that. Film, uh, well, but we're not big enough. Fans we're not Star Wars of, fans yeah, enough. Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, back to Looper. <laughs> but back to Looper. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people have a problem with the prosthetic that Joseph Gordon-Levitt wears uh-huh. that is too um, too distracting for a lot of people. Didn't bother me that much. On rewatch, it really didn't bother me. Yeah, sometimes the eyebrows look a little too painted on. Yeah, but other than that, I don't mind thing, the jaw and the lips and all that. This thing exists in a different kind of world, so I was able to let that go a little bit. Yeah, me too. And honestly, to, I mean, to look like a young Bruce Willis, I had to do something to him. Totally, and he, <laughs> he looks very much enough like Bruce Willis mm-hmm. To, to buy it, right? Um, but I, the performance by him by by JGL just, by yeah. JGL yeah, yeah is very good. Oh yeah, I like Willis a lot in this as well. Absolutely, um, I think I remember this being the first time I ever saw Emily Blunt. She's very good in it. Um, I'll tell you, Jeff Daniels. Oh yeah. Jeff Daniels is fantastic in this movie. He's great. He just looks so grimy in this movie. And, and I burly. For, I forgot that Paul Dano was in this. Yeah, he's he's kind of a. He he's like very he's got this weird energy about him in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> when I rewatched it and I remember when he was first emerged at the very early on in the movie, yeah. I was like, Well, this is gonna be on Noah's list. Yeah. Once he realizes that he's in this movie. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you know it. Um I'll tell you what, I think the best performance in the entire film is by the little kid. Really? The little kid is he's good in it. so good in this movie. He's good in it, yeah. Uh, I was really, really impressed by it. Uh, you know, it's one of those... Uh, the reason I have it as low at four as it is, because it could that's have gone higher. Good, that's still a solid slot. It's very well directed. The action sequences are riveting. It's it's well written. The reason I have it low enough is that it's one of those films that if you try to think about it a little too much, the paradoxes get really messy mm-hmm. and it can drive you crazy. Case in point, um, I watched it with my girlfriend over the weekend and I had to keep pausing it every 20 minutes because she was like, okay, but wait, this doesn't make any sense because, mm-hmm. and I kept having to say, you're overthinking it. If you think this hard about it, it's an entertainment. It's going to drive you crazy. It's a piece of entertainment. Because a lot of the logic in this film does get a little wonky. Sure. So it, it loses a couple of points for that. But just as far as like filmmaking goes, it's <laughs> super solid. I mean, yeah. Super solid. It looks great. 
the 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 sound editing and sound design really good um the music is great and the performances are great it's a very good movie when I saw Jeff Daniels, it made me think of The Lookout, the other film he did with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. I want to rewatch that, Me too. too. Yeah. I, 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 this is one of those examples that Jeff Daniels can literally do anything. Yes, he can. He's so natural in this film, when he and he's playing a bad guy. He's, yeah, he's not a good dude. He's a this. villain, but he, it's so natural for him. It's he's crazy. He's terrific. He's a fantastically he's underrated under, Still actor. underrated. Yeah. Yeah. So that's number four for me. Number three for you, we're in the top half. Number three for me is a movie that I will unabashedly go to my grave loving, and most people are like, why do you love that movie so much? And that's Pleasantville. <laughs> oh, my God. I didn't even... I di- it didn't even occur to me that Pleasantville could be on this list. I think list. it counts. It absolutely counts. I really think it, it counts. It absolutely counts. This is one of those from-the-heart picks. Yeah. Um, I've always loved this movie for some reason. It takes me back... It takes me into this nostalgic period. Of, you know, like, it came out in 98... That's when I first started really going to the movie theater a ton, and I saw this movie two or three times. I was young, when 14 when it came out, and I, I was captivated by the movie. I was like, what, what is this, and why, this can be done in movies, you know? You're allowed to do this? Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it absolutely counts, because you have a late 90s uh, high school-aged brother and sister played by Reese Witherspoon and Toby Maguire who are transported into 1950s Americana television by uh, by Don Knotts, Don Knotts via this magical remote <laughs> it is very much a fantasy movie um, yeah. but there's a lot to be said in it uh, as far as how they change the culture Within, you know, those old world views within that show, apparently, that they're now in. Yeah. The show's not really, you don't really see the show airing while they live in it. It's an actual world. It's not a television yeah. show. It's a world. And that's why I think it counts as a time travel film, because they mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't have to be, like, our reality that they're traveling to. They're still traveling in time to, yes. a, to another reality Generations or whatever past. you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Bringing, a, a, bringing the... Uh, culture of the future and, and shocking the past. Yeah. Um, and Gary Ross, who wrote and directed this, uh, who wrote Big, and he would later go on to make like films like Sea Biscuit. Um, uh, he just brings this fantasy quality that I like, and the cast is fun. Yeah. Um, Jeff, Jeff Daniels, Daniels is in this too. Joan Allen in the yep. her peak. William H Macy is great in this movie. Yeah. J T Walsh is another kind of villainous guy. Paul Walker. Paul Walker is in this film. He's the heartthrob, of course. I do love J.T. Walsh as a villain. Yeah. He's just one of the great 80s, 90s, and early 2000s This is one of his last villains. films before he died. Oh, yeah, man. He died way early. Yeah. yeah. He should still be around. Um, just a great cast. Uh, this is kind of when Tobey Maguire was a was actually, you were thinking of him as like, is he going to be great? Yeah. The Ice Storm in this. You know, Leading man. like that. Uh, but, you know, obviously he would go on to get leading man status in a Marvel film and kind of blow it all after that. But yeah. um, this is the beginning of Reese Witherspoon. This and Election were back to back, and she rode this high. Oh, yeah. But I just think there's ideas in this film. Um, it's not perfect by any means. Rewatches don't hold up nearly as well, but I still love it. Yeah, this is one of those examples because we, you know, we had a lot of discussion as to what does and doesn't count about time travel uh, in in. Com- piling these lists and this is one that falls under the fantasy time travel and not mm-hmm. science fiction time travel. yeah you know what i mean yeah and um just like those, the terminator films fall under 
action time travel. Yeah. Um, this is one that just did not occur to me. It didn't occur to me, yeah. and I feel so silly. It probably wouldn't have occurred to me either had it had, had this movie not been, not been such so a big fan close to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Number three for me is a, a film that I've been a big fan of for years and years, Ooh. a champion of. I know what it is. And that is Nacho Vigalondo's Time Crimes. Yep, yep. Um, I, I love Time Crimes because... time. Well, let's explain it. Time Crimes is a Spanish sci-fi thriller time travel film in which um, this this character, Hector, um, he, he, he's only traveling a few hours back in time. Barely, yeah. And he ends up getting stuck in, a, in sort of a loop, but it's... But um, he has to... Hmm, I don't want to give too much away because it's very interesting, but it all takes place on one day. Um, but many different... Tra- travels through time in that same day. He's kind of he's kind of being a voyeur to the to someone nearby, and in that way, he becomes endangering. He endangers himself by potentially running into himself from like hours prior. <laughs> so him and his wife have moved into a new house, and he's sitting out on a, on a lawn chair with binoculars, just taking in the scenery, and he sees someone um, with this like pink bandage around his face uh, out in the woods, and. Um, and goes investigating, and through his investigating, gets roped into time travel, and that's all you should really say. Yes, because yes. This is a this is an example of a film that the less you know going into it, the better. Um, the paradoxes are a lot of fun. The logic in in the time travel is a lot of fun, and I love the idea that it all takes place just that that he's not traveling back to 1940. Mm-hmm. That he's not traveling in the future to 2021. You know what I mean? It's 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 all taking place in just a few hours. That's a nice play on that because it's I, I've always liked this movie, not to your level, but yeah. I like it. Um, I, I think I'm the same way with source code as you are on this because yes. it's also the same type of time travel. I love source code. Yeah, I, I think it's a fun film. doesn't make my list, but I would, it would be close. Just like Time Crimes is probably seven or eight on mine. But yeah, I like this. I like this choice. Super, super encourage people to go see this because it's really smart, mm-hmm. um, really well written. Really short, too. And it's really quick. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. 92 minutes. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Time crime. All right, number two for me. Hit me. Is one we've already talked about, and that's Ryan Johnson's Looper. Awesome. Um, I like it more on rewatches. Yeah, I saw that you recently gave this four stars on... Yeah. on mm-hmm. uh, yeah, on Letterboxd, um, it's it's a uh, it's just too much fun. The pacing is great in this film. The editing is so impressive, especially when they're establishing what he does and what a looper does, their life, what it's like. The way they establish that early on in the editing is just whip smart, fast, and it, it gets across its point really well. Yeah, this is this is a film that that. Actually, the narration in the very beginning of the film mm. really helps establish the world yeah. and help you establish the rules and what's going on right. to kind of to tr- tie up some of those loose ends to keep you from asking so many questions. Because, yeah. God, the person I watched it with would have asked even more questions had he not given you some of those little right. tidbits of information in the, in the narration. Mm-hmm. It's actually necessary narration which so much of the time that oh, that isn't a thing is unnecessary most yeah. of the time but yeah i agree and and just the just the performances i think are so good um it makes me miss joseph gordon levitt i hope he starts working again soon because he's such a good actor really solid leading man honestly yeah 
Um, he's great in this film. Um, you know, and, and like his body shape and size, you would never think that he, he would be an action guy. You know what I mean? No. He's he's smaller than I am. He's capable, though. But he, he's believable and capable in, in this film. He is, yeah. yeah. This was coming right off of um, Inception, which, you know, he kind of like started like into the action Yeah, he does some action there. stuff in there for sure. Yeah. Um, great stuff. Uh, we, I don't need to talk about it much more. I mean, we've established that, you know, all the things that are positive and probably some negatives there, but um, overall, it's just so entertaining and so it's the pacing alone for me yeah, it, keeps me involved the whole way. D- didn't watching it make you a little more excited for Knives Out? Yes, Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan Johnson is a really intelligent filmmaker he, yes he's an original guy he he's he's coming up with original ideas yes when he, when he directs his films and, and and whatever you think of some of the cast like you know you have some reservations on knives out because of some of the people in the cast that you don't love like chris evans is at the forefront of it you've never been the biggest chris evans fan but so initially you're gonna think ah knives out whatever but yeah when you start realizing like you said when you rewatch looper and you see his abilities you have more confidence and anticipation for Knives Out. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so number two for me, that was your number two, right? Yes. Yes. Number two for me is Back to the Future. Nice. Number one for me. I figured it was going to be yeah. number one for you because <laughs> it's got your boy, Michael J. Fox, in it. Well, yeah. Yeah. But it's also iconic. It's it's most <laughs> everyone's number one. I totally get it. I, I, I think as... As famous and heralded as Back to the Future is as one of the most popular films of all time, I still think it's ultimately even slightly underrated. I agree. Because it doesn't get enough credit for the things that it actually does well. Mm-hmm. I think people make a big deal about how cool it is, you know, and 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 mm-hmm. it's it's almost beloved for the wrong reasons. It's it's a really slightly underrated film, despite how how huge hugely popular it is. It it works as it works on a lot of levels, honestly. And, yeah. And, and, and every time I see it, I'm amazed at. I mean, I'm always like, I'm always looking for a reason why I'm gonna dislike it a little. Le- I'm like, do I really love this movie still? Like, yeah. And every single time I see it, there's nothing I can see in it that I can say doesn't hold up for me. It's very bizarre. Yeah. I know I'm very biased when it comes to Michael J. Fox, especially this era. He was, I mean, the, One of- the charisma in this guy and talk about you want to talk about small guys that are larger than life we were just talking about joseph gordon levitt he might be the king of them i mean this guy has so much to him and at that time he was like maybe the world's he was destined to be the biggest star on the he planet. was one of the biggest yeah him and michael jackson were the two biggest stars in the world and he is the driving force of this movie he really is and but it's surrounded by a a, a terrific cast absolutely uh, you know doing their best work of their careers too i mean christopher lloyd is known for doc brown for a reason yeah he is he embodies him robert zemeckis used him better than anyone because in who framed roger rabbit he's also outstanding and he's a completely different character in that yes movie. so zemeckis was also able to show lloyd's versatility in a way that Pretty much any other director was not able to kind of tap into that. Very true, yeah. We never really got to see him do much else beyond the Zemeckis movies. You know, that it was great, great. Dennis the Menace? I guess, yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. What was he? He was like, who is the? Like, He's the scary uh, the, the, uh, hobo the, guy. The hobo, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was pretty creepy. The boxcar hobo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was scary. Yeah, I remember the score got even scary. Yeah. As a kid, when you're watching that, when he came into the screen, but um, yeah, Leah Thompson is great in this film. Crispin Glover. Oh my God. I mean, this is what you know Crispin Glover for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, milkshake. <laughs> chocolate <laughs> um th- and then you've got um you know just biff in general biff tannen biff tannen um one of the great just bullies in the history of film um they spread him across three movies whether you like him in the second or third is one thing but the way they introduce him in this is great thomas f wilson that's uh, the name yes. of okay that character yeah yeah, he's great in this, but Zemeckis is so imaginative. Um, a lot of the effects still look good now, practical effects, you know. Um, it, it's just, it builds and builds, and, and a lot of the stuff, you know, yeah, the uh, the awkwardness of a dude getting hit on by his own mom is, is bizarre. But, um, but that makes for, for, for really fun comedic scenes. Oh, the Calvin Klein scene is amazing. Yeah. The, scene, the scenes at the high school are all great. Um, you know, especially the Johnny B. Good stuff. It's classic. One of the things that makes time travel films so much fun when they're fun ones is the whole fish out of water aspect mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. And Back to the Future does the fish out of water thing more fun and and more interestingly uh, than probably any other film. It's so iconic and justifiably, I think. Yeah. So... That's enough of that. It's back to the future. It's back to the future. So I'm curious what your number one is. Number one for me, the only thing that I could think of that would beat Back to the Future is a film that I I would be shocked if we're not talking about again in a month and a half when we do the best films of the decade list. And that is Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris. Wow. I am number one. I'm a gigantic fan of this film. This is one of my favorite films of the century. Did you rewatch it? No, but I rewatch this film maybe once every two or three years. And I don't. I haven't seen it in probably seven years. I, I'm a huge fan. This is one of my favorite movies. Like it's one of your all-time favorite films. Wow! It is easily one of my favorite films of this of this century. Yes. Mm. I mean, I love this. So movie. you're all but guaranteeing you'll be talking about it in I, in, in a little while. I on would our be decade list. I would be shocked if wow. we're not talking about this again. Just okay. um, I. I this is the best thing I've ever seen Owen Wilson in. I, I, I think this is my favorite performance by Owen Wilson. I love Rachel McAdams in it, mm-hmm. and I've never been a big fan of her. This was this was my favorite thing of hers for quite a while. Might still be as well, because she's got a really interestingly layered and complex character as well. Um, and then just all of the cameos. Well, isn't, isn't uh, Michael Sheen in this film Michael as well? Michael Sheen, yeah. Plays yeah. a bastard, right? He's, he's, he's so annoying. He's, he Well, he's... He's pompous. He's, he's very pompous, and he's kind of... But he's good at that. ...not so secretly hitting on Owen Wilson's right. wife mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. fiancé. Um, but so many great cameos from Adrian Brody plays plays Salvador Dali mm-hmm. and Kathy Bates. Um, who, who plays... Um, I haven't seen it in so long, but isn't there, what, F. Scott, F. Scott Fitzgerald? Yeah, yeah, okay. So, so yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Kathy Bates is... Uh, Gertrude Stein. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Who, who else? P- Picasso is in it. There's uh, Josephine Baker. Tom Hiddleston plays F. Scott Fitzgerald. Alison Pill is Zelda Fitzgerald. Oh, yes, yes. There's Cole Porter is in it. 
Um, I already said Picasso, Salvador Dali. Um, <laughs> God, T.S. Eliot, Matisse. And, and this was like a big resurgence for, for him as a writer-director at the time. Oh, yeah. Too. This was his biggest hit of, of the century. Oh, yeah. I would <laughs> say the, so. Of that the 21st match century. Point. That, yeah. that and match point were. This yeah. was a big, big deal. I mean, I think he, didn't he win? Like, I think he won a screenplay. Screenplay? I yeah, he won so. Best Original Screenplay that year for it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it was nominated also for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Art Direction. I haven't seen it, like I said, in a very long time. Um, I, I would... I would ne- I would never go against my boy Dignan for my favorite Owen Wilson performance. But, I understand that, but I I do like that he branched out here and challenged himself. I just as someone who also loves the the turn of the century, as far as you know, art and music mm-hmm. and yeah. culture and all of that, like. Um, I I felt a lot of what Owen Wilson felt when he was traveling back there, and I really gravitated towards that character a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's part of why it's really stuck with me uh, all these years, seven, eight years later now. Yeah. Um, I just, God, I love this movie. All right, I'm I shocked. I really love this movie. Shocked you had it this high. And again, it is a lot like Pleasantville in that it's one of those fantasy time travel films. Yes, yes. Where there's, he's not getting in a time machine. It's not a science fiction time, mm-hmm. time travel film. Um, I just, I, I think it's super funny, really well acted, all, all these terrific cameos. And um, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I all have right. a gigantic soft spot for Midnight in Paris. I love it. All right. So, all right. Well, we have come to my favorite part of the show then. Um, actually, really quick. I, I do think that we should mention, um, we, we, we talked about a film like Arrival, for example. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make the list. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it too, it's too hard science and, and not, you know, necessarily time travel. I also want to mention that we didn't add films like Groundhog Day and uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Those are time loop, loop films. Sure, we can talk about And not that. time travel films. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, I don't think... They're stuck in a time loop. So it's not like they're time traveling as much as they have to relive the same day over and over again. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I think Groundhog Day would have been very Possibly. high. Possibly, yeah. Very high on both of our lists. It could have vied for the number one spot on mine, honestly. So just would have been on mine. as a disclaimer, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> I want to put those out there. All right. Well, now we've come to my favorite part of the show, the throwback challenge. Last week, Noah challenged me with Terrence Davies' 2016 film, A Quiet Passion, and I gave him Rick Alverson's The Comedy from 2012. So as always, we're going to start with you, Andy. What did you think of Terrence Davies' A Quiet Passion? Quiet Passion tells the story of a lifetime of, uh, well, I mean, one of the most heralded, well, after her death and much, much later, um, heralded poet Emily Dickinson's life. And in this film, she's played by Cynthia Nixon, of all people. Um, Very interesting casting choice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will note that Molly Shannon plays her in a more recent movie that we might see eventually. I don't know if that's... We saw trailers for that months ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's been out. Okay. It came out a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Well, I don't yeah. remember it Maybe being available ago. at all. Yeah, and it so, got pretty good reviews. Yeah. Very, very dark comedy. Another interesting, I don't remember the name. Another but. interesting choice. Yeah. So, in, yeah, Cynthia Nixon um, is, you know, the f- focus as Emily Dickinson in this film. Um, 
it's very, very a Terrence Davies film. If you've ever seen one, he's very focused on the look and the surroundings period of period pieces, details. period, period dramas details. especially. Yeah. His films are very serious and, you know what, very quiet, <laughs> like this title suggests. Um, his films are normally past two hours like this one, and they're very deliberately paced and... Um, dialogue heavy um with a lot of costumes that are you know he's kind of obsessed with the accuracy of the look of the time and um he gets that exactly right again here um you know i I, um i'll say this this is my fourth terrence davies movie that i've seen wow because early on when i was kind of exploring different period pieces in my early 20s i saw the house of mirth the film he did with jillian anderson um and then later on i saw the long day closes which is kind of like the one that everyone puts up the top for him and then there's also um the film he did the deep blue sea the film he did with the rachel vice yeah um so i've seen those three I, I, this is the only terrence davies i've ever seen okay okay um so yeah this movie basically tells the story of her entire life through her childhood um, as a schoolgirl and then into her days as a poet or a struggling poet, we'll say that. Um, she can hardly get published. There, there are men in her life who come to her and say things like, well, you should be thankful that I even put your words in this. Yeah. And um, there's a pretty terrific scene where she's explaining to one of the men that he changed some of her punctuation and she should be a, she should just be grateful that it got in, published at all and um she she um she this performance is very good yeah um, she has some delightful like clapbacks at people she's uh, there's very, a ton of them she's very snarky <laughs> very very are, snarky this movie is just one argument over and over and <laughs> yeah, over it's again a, it's a series uh, of arguments yes yeah. and mostly with her sister what i liked about the arguments with her sister though those are they the always best ones. end in reconciliation they're listening to each other you know they're not just bickering for no reason they're both actually listening and they're trying to get to a point of understanding with each other which is nice um the relationship with her and her sister is the best part of this film um but man nixon is embodies the role i'll say that um but (laughs) boy it makes you um really think about uh, this the the morals and the standards that Emily Dickinson lived by. <laughs> she had a lot of opinions on a lot of things, and um, you get to hear them a lot in this movie. Uh, her 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 thoughts on infidelity and things like that are very strong. <laughs> um, she you could but you could even see that she was kind of like she thought she even went too far when she analyzed herself. Yeah. I mean that ultimately stressed her out to her death. Yeah, basically, you you really see how tortured mm-hmm. she, how depressed, Oof, yes, and like just so to the point where she could barely leave uh, the house. Yeah, um, which she doesn't do very often in this movie. No. <laughs> um, um, so the performance is very involved it looked like it took out a, a lot out of cynthia nixon <laughs> just personally oh you definitely see it wearing on her playing this role i i would i wouldn't be surprised if i heard that she never took herself out of character while she was doing this yeah if, if you had told me this was a method performance yes. you know yes a la ddl and mm-hmm. and and yeah. joaquin i would have mm-hmm. believed that yeah 
That being said, all of that being said, like every Terrence Davies movies I've, movie I've seen, I don't get on his style. I can't dig on his style. The, he loses me. Yeah, there's something that's always like obfuscated. Like he's he's keeping you at arm's length. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're seeing it through like a gate or yes. something. Where it's he's it's not a, letting a, you in. It's a look but don't touch kind of thing. Like yeah, and like and, it's almost like you're shopping in a store while someone's watching you to make sure you don't shoplift the whole time. That's, that's kind of what exactly watching like one of his that. films, it's, this film at least, feels. Let me like. tell you, it's that way every time out. And, really? and I can't fully get behind it. He loses me. He does. Yeah. And it was a strain to watch this entire movie. Man. I felt way longer than two hours and five minutes. Um, it was just too much. It was push and pull. And as much as I enjoy the performance at, at, at the front of it, I also could not get all the way involved with it. That's and understandable. It was, it was hard. It was it was a hard watch. I'm sorry I did that to you. Uh, no, 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 no. That's what this is about. Now, you can't d- win them all. Did you watch it with your, uh, well, I should say fiancé ha- now? Yes, yeah. yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, Half of it, yes. And what now, did she think? She had to just get up and walk away. So even, she was even more bored with it than I was. Wasn't even for her. She's like, I just can't. Yeah. I just can't. She just walked away. She just wanted to watch You Got Mail again. <laughs> yes, for the seventh time. <laughs> this year <laughs> oh, but God. no she couldn't watch it and and you know what i was on i was close to that level too really um but i not, not that this is in any way a bad movie it's just hard it's just, it's just a terrence davies film yeah i'm not i'm not a terrence davies fan and what can i say what are you giving it two and a half it's a two and a half kind of day all right i understand <laughs> i understand what'd yeah. you give ford versus ferrari three three okay. barely though i was almost, <laughs> almost two, two and, and a half, half. yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh well you gave me rick alverson's the comedy and this mm. is actually my second rick alverson film i was a really big fan of entertainment mm-hmm. um i was a really big fan i thought that was one of the most underrated films of that year sure yeah um, Mm-hmm. And so I was really looking forward to this. Um, this is a tough film to mm-hmm. to care about, I guess, to mm-hmm. invest in. Because you're watching almost exceedingly, almost exclusively awful people mm-hmm. um, either talk about themselves to one another or just be awful to other people. Um, say awful things, do awful things, just behaving badly, uh, especially Tim Heidegger's character, mm-hmm. who is one of the worst people I've ever seen committed to film. Absolutely. The things he does in this film, he is just a absolutely despicable person. I totally agree. Um, so the film follows Heidegger's character, who appears to be quite wealthy, um, but he lives on a houseboat. His father appears to be very wealthy. And he has friends that either seem like they're wealthy or or, or at least trust fund they kids or something. From it. Yeah. <laughs> Played by Eric Wareheim, uh, James Murphy from LCD Sound System, Greg Turkington at one point, who you th- it seems like he probably manages the real estate holdings of whatever, you know, mm-hmm. Heidegger's character has. A Will Chef from Ockerville Rivers in there. Yeah, but then he also <laughs> goes and gets a job as, like, a dishwasher. And you wonder, like, does he actually need that job or is he just bored? Or like, So it's, it's really tough to understand. Um, he just does awful things either for the fun of it, convenience, whether that's... Um, getting a cab driver to to let him drive his cab 
and then treating him like shit um, to pretending he works places and just making a very awkward experience for people being super um, misbehave, misbehaved in a church. Well, also in a, um, a bar full of people of color. Oh, man. That is a really <laughs> uncomfortable scene. That's what a lot of these scenes are. They're, mm-hmm. very, they're designed to make you, the viewer, feel really uncomfortable. Because people like that exist in the world. Yeah. That's the problem. And, that's why, and, and this movie is not condoning this behavior. Oh, not at all. Mm-hmm. It's not. He's not. Alverson's not depicting him as someone that you should um, in, like. No. Someone that you should admire. Not even someone that you should even necessarily pity or feel sorry for. No, not at all. Even. You're no. just supposed to dislike him and and watch him spiral, I suppose. Sure. Um, and, and to that point, I think that's why it ends up working, ultimately, mm-hmm. as a film. Is that it's it's paced really interestingly. He does. He may. Alverson may linger on certain shots a little while. He does. He does. And and in a in, in a but in a good way. But he doesn't. He doesn't let scenes themselves last too long. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so most scenes, even the really awkward ones, the ones that make you feel really uncomfortable, that they're paced in a way that they they get in there and they do their thing and they don't last too long and they get out. It's it's shots that he chooses to linger on a little long, and and that that is a thumbs up. You know, I don't mind that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's I think one of the smartest things, especially about the directing of the film, that it gets extra points for. It's it's really well directed. I think he's quietly one of our most underrated filmmakers. Yeah, it's crazy, and it makes me. Even more excited to finally see the mountain now yes. that it's now that it's out. You can get it on Amazon Prime. Um, you can definitely torrent it. I assume you should also. I want you to put something on your watch list. It's a film you made right before this, called New Jerusalem. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. I wanted to catch this. I've, it's mm. come really highly recommended to me by other people as well. Yeah, there's like an ex-military guy who's kind of like disturbed from the war, or comes back and has different opinions on things, and then he. He's he comes in contact with an old friend who's an who's a very kind of like an evangelical like guy uh, played by Will Oldham who has very strong religious beliefs mm-hmm. and they 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 clash and that's what the film's about anyway um, he's just an interesting filmmaker yeah he really is he really is <clears throat> there, there is a scene in this film I, there are multiple scenes that that really stick with me the day after now because I watched this last night. And, um, you know, there's the church scene. There's mm-hmm. the bar scene. The bar scene, actually, I recognized one of my... A rapper I like a lot is really? in the bar scene. He doesn't say anything. Mayhem Moran. Really? He's like Action Bronson's best friend. Okay, okay. He's just standing there. I was like, that looks like Mayhem Loren. And I got on IMDb. And sure enough, it's him. That that scene really sticks with you. There's the scene um, it, where he's, you know, walking around the hospital, just going into random people's rooms. Starts combing one guy's hair for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the one scene that really stuck with me is he 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 gets this job at a, at a restaurant washing dishes and Caitlin Scheel mm-hmm. um, shows up at one point. Oh, and you're talking about the houseboat scene, aren't you? The houseboat scene. <laughs> he does this hilarious impersonation of Nick Nolte <laughs> that I was dying laughing. It was the funniest part of the whole movie. 
Um, I'm cracking up laughing. And then. And then. <laughs> and then the scene takes a really, really dark turn. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's taking a cute turn after the Nick Nolte yeah. bit. And it takes an extremely dark turn. Well, that's Alverson for you. I mean, and that's his unpredictability is there in that scene. And it's one of those scenes where he lingers on a shot to really give you the gravity of the moment. And you're just sitting there thinking, oh, my God, what the fuck? Like, you feel for anyone who comes in contact with this person. Yeah, Because they're getting themselves into something dangerous. Whether it's his sister-in-law, who he speaks to <sighs> disgustingly. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, his father, who l- thankfully is comatose. Well, he's on his deathbed. And doesn't have to <laughs> engage with this guy. <laughs> I mean... There's, there are scenes that really, like, this is a this is a gut punch kind of movie that really sticks with you, crawls under your skin and gets to you. I, I'm not going to forget this. Four stars. Good. I'm this glad, a, I'm glad really, you like this film. It's um, a really good movie. It's abrasive, but... but Very abrasive. Not for everyone. But doesn't condone this type of behavior. Let me say that again. And, and actually, I love this film um, because uh, I know... I know a couple people like this, yeah. and and it really nails it, and it's disturbing in a way. And there are people like this in the world, and this is kind of a horror story. Yeah, Lara <laughs> was watching it with me last night, and she said, she's like, do people really act like this? There are people like this. I was like, this. unfortunately, yeah, there are lots of people like this, and the ones that have money? Yes. And, and and never have to no boundaries. They think there's no boundaries. Yeah, there's no boundaries, and the world never... is their like palette to do anything they want with it. There's no repercussions for no. their actions. They're never. Well, they don't think never... there is anyway. Yeah, they're never forced to to make amends for. They anything. can always, They'll be bailed out no matter what. And then she said to me, she goes, "So Andy like really likes this movie?" And I was like, "Yeah, he does. That's why he made me watch this." Well, it combines one of my favorite directors of this decade with person who i think is not only just a great comedic mind but a truly great actor a truly great actor his performance in this film i I don't know what you think of the performance but i think it is a tremendous performance he's phenomenal everyone is very good in this movie yeah um so that means we need to give each other throwbacks for next week have you arrived at something for me i have yes. yes what do you got for me so this is one I know you've had on your watch list for a while, and you've wanted to see it, and you just haven't got around to it. This is it's time, and it's from this decade. It's recent, and that's Jim Jarmusch's Patterson. I am, I am so thrilled. Yeah, this is such a great excuse to watch this movie. Yes, and it's easily accessible. I, think I have it's on Prime. Oh, I have a copy yeah. of it. Okay, good. I just have. I know you want to see it, and honestly, it's. It could be very well be talked about again eventually. This is this is the first one that you've given me since we started this recent excursion of of making making sure the other person is watching something from this decade to to further hone our lists for mm-hmm. the coming month and a half. Um, this is the first one that you've given me that I thought this has a chance. Okay, I have not seen it, but this has a chance to make my list. Yeah. That's how. That's how much I think I'm going to love this movie. So well, you know, we both love Jarmusch, and. Most people say this is one of his best films. Yeah. And I would have to agree with that. All right. I am, I'm thrilled. I'm excited to see this. All right. What do you got for me? I have a really out of left field pick for you, but this is a film I like a lot, and I can't wait to discuss it with you. Okay. And that is Ari Fullman's The Congress, also known as Robin Wright at The Congress. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So um, it so, stars... So this is from the film... The guy that made Waltz with Bashir, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. He is. 
Um, this was his film after Waltz with Bashir. Okay. And it's obviously Robin Wright plays Robin Wright mm-hmm. in the film. And she ends up crossing over into an animated world, and it's, whew, it is, it's it's nuts. You, it's an acid trip. Okay. The film feels like an acid trip. Paul Giamatti, John Hamm, uh, Danny Houston, Harvey Keitel, Cody Smith-McPhee. Damn. It's got a great cast. Okay. And most of them are um, animated. When was this made? 2013. 2013, okay. 2013. I, I think it's one of the most mind-bending and original films of the decade and i think that you need to see it in all fairness whether you're going to love it or not all right in order to that's good variety right there what a variety. i like this plus again selfishly i'm looking forward to watching this film again i'm going to rewatch patterson also it is gonzo it is nuts perfect really really nuts sounds good to me so all right well (laughs) <laughs> on that note, I think that's our show for today. Remember to subscribe to the Film Harmonic on uh, Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a generous rating if you're so inclined. Subscribe also on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever else you happen to get your podcasts. Send us your suggestions for the Throwback Challenge to thefilmharmonic at gmail.com. We will be back next week with Ryan Johnson's murder mystery, Knives Out. And we'll also review Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, directed by Mariel Heller. And for our pick six segment, we will rank the six best films directed by famous actors. So that's people like Clint Eastwood, uh, Ron Howard, Jodie Foster. Lots and lots of names to choose from. Should be a ton of fun. So add all of that to our newest throwback challenges. And it looks like we've got yet another jam-packed show on our hands. Andy, what do you say we get out of here? Let's get out of here. We will see you next time on on the the Film Film Harmonic. Substitute.